Hello and welcome to the Athletic Soccer Show. My name is Mike Zimmerman and we have a special episode for you today. The cast of the critically acclaimed and award-winning series Ted Lasso joined us to chat all things Lasso, soccer, and more. The Athletics' Sean Fitzgerald and myself sat down with Jason Sudeikis, who plays the loquacious Ted Lasso, Brett Goldstein as Roy Kent, Brendan Hunt as Coach Beard, and Nick Muhammad as Nate. We're so excited to bring you inside the world of AFC Richmond. So without further ado, the cast of Ted Lasso. Season 3 of Ted Lasso premieres on March 15th on Apple TV+, and I'm pleased to be joined by one of the stars of the 11-time Emmy Award-winning series, Jason Sudeikis. Jason, thank you so much for hanging out in, on the Athletic Soccer Show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It, you you now, give us legitimacy. I that that's my that's my main goal. Well, as the manager of a Premier League club, Ted has so many responsibilities both on and off the pitch, especially for a newly promoted club like Richmond. One of importance is man management. Why is he so skilled at connecting with his players and staff? Hmm. I mean, I, I'm flattered that you think he is. I, I mean, I think he leaves himself. He meets people where they're at. Uh, you know, like he, he doesn't get rattled too much by someone's you know, baggage popping open and, and, you know, throwing, you know, dirty clothes all over his face. He, he can kind of, he can kind of recognize it as he has it himself. He's seen it many, many times. And I think that's one of the neat things about, you know, coaches at, at any level of like high school or college, because they, it is a transient relationship. You know, you know, you only got them for four years. Nobody's getting paid, you know, as far as the players are concerned, you know, and maybe at some colleges that that's not the case, but, uh, you know, not, and hopefully that'll change in the future, to be quite honest. But um, but it, it, it is a relationship that, you know, you're 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 getting people that may not and probably won't do this for a living. And so you want to give them the skill set. And I think he comes from that place. He probably benefited from it himself. And so he's just trying to pass that on. And the part of him well, that missed that relationship with you know uh, a parental figure at least in regards to his own father you know wants wants to offer that to to you know young men that that you know you know probably you know would benefit from it yeah i love the complexity of the characters especially those in roles that we usually view from the outside as just one dimensional you know just as players just as coaches or right. just as the owner when developing the characters throughout the series was there anything you wanted to show that fans of soccer don't normally get to see Mm, 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 mm. Well, you know, my love for soccer grew throughout the experience of not just making the commercials like we started in 2013, 2014, but but even more so over the last few years, because like anything, like like even a bad song, you hear it enough times, you're going to tap your toe to it because of the familiarity of it. Right. And there and, you know, football has been around for, you know, decades and decades and decades. And 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 it's not something that's as prevalent growing up here in America. I mean, every kid played it in kindergarten where I'm from, Kansas, but but very few kids stuck with it. And it, and it didn't have the same, you know, fervor behind it, like baseball, football, uh, American football and, and basketball. Um, so, I, you know, anything that we wanted to show there was more the mentoring human side of it and 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 soccer slash football really was a a beautiful venn diagram to show those elements of it i think my lack of understanding and yet married and uh with 
Brendan Hunt, who plays Coach Beard's deep understanding and love of it, as well as Joe Kelly, you know, uh, who is, you know, our other dear friend that we, you know, did those commercials way back when we were kind of like Goldilocks, like, you know, too hot, too cold and just right, you know, and those conversations led to just some very human curiosity by me that led to absolute understanding by Brendan and then this perfect, you know, combination within Joe that, you know, I, I, I'm just glad that the people from the soccer community that have really watched the show and embraced the show have felt that way, uh, even back to the commercials, because without that community, the second commercial never would have happened that the doing the second wave of commercials allowed for us to unlock the character a little bit more. And it wouldn't exist without their, you know, laughing at us and and laughing with us and and it let us know that we were doing something right especially you know when it, when you know we met you know uh you know like someone like terry Henry who had actually you know knew the commercials and knew the character and and was excited to be part of the tv show it's like oh wow like someone that you know knows lives breathes and is an, a football icon you know giving us a thumbs up was 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 thrilling so i appreciate his early backing uh, but that was something that we never we wanted, but we never would have assumed we would have received. Well, that's fantastic. Jason, thank you so much for your time. We're all excited to see what season three holds for AFC Richmond. He's there. He's everywhere. But most importantly, Roy Kent is here. It's Brett Goldstein. Brett, thank you for popping into the Athletic Soccer Show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm sad you didn't swear when you did my chant, but... I guess you've got rules over there. Well, it could have put it in an explicit um, sign on the podcast, but <laughs> as a player turned coach, Roy has a unique perspective. Uh, how can he relate to the players in a way that maybe Ted and Beard are not able to? Because he's been what through what they've been through and he, he understands the mindset. It's that the, I think it puts him in quite a unique position compared to the two of them. Beard is, you know, studies it all objectively understands it uh that way ted it's all heart but roy is like the reality of like i know what the fuck this is i can't remember if this is a moment in two or season three and i hope it's not a spoiler but there's a moment where they're discussing what they should do and roy's like ask them like ask the players they're the ones who are gonna have to fucking enact this thing that we're discussing um so he really, and I think that's why he's sometimes frustrated with Jamie as well, because he also knows what it takes to be the best and it takes work, work ethic. And it's again, all, all well and good in theory, but Roy's done that work. He knows you can't just fucking take a night off and get fucked up. Like you have to really drill down and do this shit every day. Roy famously and She's not sad. subtly, might I add, left mid-broadcast on Sky Sports because punditry just wasn't really for him. But yeah. during that brief stint in media, do you think that he learned anything from that side of the sport that makes him a better coach? What did he learn? Well, I think it, it showed him what he was missing, which was being amongst it. He was like, I don't want to be on the outside of this looking in. So it showed him that. Did he learn anything from the pundits? I'm not sure he did. <laughs> I, I'm really not sure he did. I think he 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 learned he just didn't want to be there. 
So season one, episode one, we saw Roy as this tough, hot-headed, strong-willed person. What has been yeah. your favorite development or area area of growth for him? Uh, it's two. One is his relationship with Phoebe, his niece. I think is a is a beautiful thing, and they understand each other in a way that's quite grown up. And if she sees him for real, and he's learned a lot through her. And I think you know my my favorite sort of development was him falling in love with Keely and their how their relationship started from a place of them both being shocked by both of them being accountable like which I think neither of them had ever experienced and then this sort of slow growth of this relationship was a real beautiful thing for a man who'd completely shut down his heart his whole life well, I, th- I think we're all looking forward to seeing how Roy continues to develop uh, here in season three. Brett, thank you so much for joining us here on the Athletic Soccer Show. Best of luck and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you so much. I'm excited to welcome on a heartthrob in the weirdest way, according to Brene Brown. It's Brendan Hunt. Brendan, thank you so much for joining the Athletic Soccer Show. Uh, thank you for giving me my uh, proper address. You're very welcome. Well, every great manager has a great right-hand man, and Coach Beard and Ted Lasso fit together like a strange, quirky, yet perfect puzzle. What does Beard bring to the coaching staff and the team that complements what Ted brings? Uh, well, Ted's not really an X's and O's guy. He's a, um, you know, get everybody rowing the boat in the same direction guy. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, someone's got to make a lineup sheet. Um, so, uh, so Beard does him the favor of of learning all the rules of the game, uh, one book at a time. Well, Beard most of the time is the voice of reason among the team. Is that a characteristic found in yourself? Where do those Where do those words of wisdom come from? <laughs> um, well, you know, I have uh, I have uh, three sisters, and uh, on my mom's side, I have eleven aunts and uncles, and I have fifteen cousins, uh, and that's just my mom's side. That's not even getting into my dad and my stepdad, so. I uh, I come from you know a long line of uh, of, of of tension diffusion, uh, and it's it's it, take it from the family to the workplace as much as you can. When when you sit down to write season three, how do you tie in together all these emotions that are going on throughout the story? You know, you've got comedy and humor, heartfelt romance, drama. How do you make sure there's a balance at, that that keeps the story going? Uh, we have a bunch of uh, uh, um, uh, sabermetricians who count the amount of uh, jokes and the amount of uh, teary things page by page. Um, and then we run it through the Bill James computer. Uh, and then we come back and make sure that everything is totally equal. Uh, no, we just go on 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 vibe. You know, it's it, we can't let anything get too serious. We can't let anything get too silly. And just kind of our natural instincts let us know when is the right time to uh, to segue? And in particular, it's really fun to sort of keep the audience off balance with like, you know, uh, comedy and pain in, in close proximity to each other, <laughs> you know, like a left, right, left. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so yeah, it's, 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 it's great to have all those elements in the mix because you can keep it balanced or unbalanced uh, when you need to, you know, get the audience uh, uh, not, not getting you predictable. Now, you are a gunner and Arsenal supporter through and through. Is there any advice that Coach Beard would give to uh, Mikel Arteta as they chase the Premier League title? Keep doing what you're doing, baby. You got this on lockdown. You, you're, 
you're you're rotating correctly. Yeah, you're getting uh, the bench involved. You're keeping giving the kids hope and letting the kids getting the kids to stay ready. So when they are called on, like the great Reese Nelson, they step up. So no, no, no notes. Well, we'll see if they can do it. Brendan, thank you so much for hopping on the Athletic Soccer Show. Hope to speak to you again real soon. All right. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Question and answer here, just to get into it. Um, how might your day-to-day life look if one of your most famous ensemble works was still crustal structure beneath the Faroe Islands from teleseismic receiver functions? If that was still <laughs> one of your most famous works, how different would your life be? <laughs> well, you've done your research. Um, yeah, um, it would, you know, I think my life would be very... <laughs> very different i'd be still um doing geophysics on the faroe islands and i don't know possibly working for an oil company or something like that or headed into academia <laughs> um i still have a passion for it weirdly weirdly enough i um when i popped home i i, I found a copy of my dissertation um at my parents house and i actually took it with me back to, to london just to have a, a a read of it and suffice to say i didn't understand a word of it anymore <laughs> this is a silly question and i apologize but did you ever did you ever defend your PhD? Did you ever def- do you have your PhD? No. Well, I so I I wanted to quit, and then my supervisor was like, "Well, if you do one more year, you can get an MPhil, which is like a bit more than a master's." And so I was like, "Okay, I'll do that." And so I so I got an MPhil, but I didn't get the full PhD. So I can't be doctor. I'm not a doctor, Mohammed. <laughs> uh, you grew up loving magic and wanting people to laugh. What was your draw into geophysics? Uh, I, I really liked science as a kid. I, I, you know, I, you know, I guess the, the magic sort of obsession was sort of um, a, a little bit into the kind of looking into the unknown. And I guess geophysics is sort of the science of, of looking into the unknown. You know, there's a lot of looking into space and sort of why we're here and the sort of the structure of the earth. And so I, I feel like that, you know, there was a degree of trying to answer that question a little bit. And, you know, I had a, I always enjoyed science class at, at school and, you know, I was doing maths and geography and uh, and uh, physics and things like that. So, so I think when I applied for university, I, I, I think I applied to do like the earth science course or the environmental course. And, and it was actually the university said, Oh no, because you've got a maths background, you should go into geophysics because you'll be able to use that a lot more. And so actually, they kind of guided me towards it and, and I, and I really took to it and really enjoyed it. And so, um, so yeah, and you know, I still like it. I'll still watch, you know, I'll still geek out over science programs on, on telly and, and stuff and, and read about it still. The last question on the geophysics angle here is when was the last time you might've put anything you learned during your degrees to use? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, to, to use in what regard? I mean, I, well, weirdly, there was a weird crossover in that I, I pop up in the film The Martian, the Ridley mm-hmm. Scott film, and um, and that was to play a, a well, a, like a physicist at Jet Propulsion Labs, and um, I weirdly quite a lot of the tech speak and and some of the jargon I did know from my geophysics days, 
because a lot of it was sort of programming speak and they were using some of the systems and software that I'd used. So actually, I think that that helped me in, in that role. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend someone studying a geophysics degree just to try and get that role in a Ridley Scott film. But, but still, I, that was probably the last time it was put to, to good, effective artistic use. Uh, speaking of acquisition of knowledge, uh, where in his backstory do you think Nathan Shelley might have acquired his sort of encyclopedic knowledge of tactics in soccer? Well, I think he's a little bit, you know, he's a bit of a wonder kid, isn't he? As in, I think he's quite special in that regard. He definitely has the capacity to take, you know, to, I guess, assimilate quite large quantities of information. Weirdly enough, it is something that they do sort of explore in season three to a degree, like why is his brain like how it, how it is, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't go so far to say that Nate is on the spectrum in any way, but he definitely has, you know, certain genius qualities when it comes to gameplay. And um, uh, we see that manifest itself in other ways, which I won't kind of give away, but later on in, in the season three, we see that he has a gift for something else that is quite unexpected. Um, but then maybe not surprising when you think that he is, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word genius because he's not a genius, but but he, he definitely, he definitely, his brain definitely works in different ways um, and um, might even go towards explaining why why he's socially not quite as adept as, as 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 some of his other peers without getting into too deep of any psychological profile guess the curiosity is that with the strained relationship with his dad and i mean there is that strain uh, certainly you know building up through season one and two with the family i mean do you get the sense that you know with the social awkwardness and, and with the way certainly in the beginning that he would sort of contract that maybe as a kid soccer was a place where he felt like he could invest himself and feel like he belonged, that sort of thing? Yeah, to a, to a degree, yeah. I mean, it's definitely right to say that his, his insecurities stem from his relationship with his dad. That's, I don't think that's a, a spoiler in any kind of way. And, you know, I'm sure that we'll unpack that in this season to a degree. But I think it's interesting because, you know, yes, yes, yes and no, I think so, so, uh, football was an outlet for him to kind of, get get away from that but it's not like he found himself on on the pitch you know he's not he's not he's not that way inclined he didn't he never he, he doesn't get that kind of glory he's always sort of a, been a behind the scenes guy you know obviously we, when we first introduced to Nate he's he's the kit man and he's almost like the general dog's body sort of surrounding himself in this environment but never really quite getting the attention or the praise that he seeks and no one respects his knowledge of the game or anything. Um, it's only when Ted comes along, ironically, who he then stabs in the back, that, that someone respects him and kind of gives him that platform. And in a way, that is sadly his his downfall as well. Um, but he's always a behind. He's always been a behind the scenes guy, hasn't he? Regardless of where he's found himself, he's not. He's not. A, he's not an in front of the camera kind of guy. He's just not that way inclined. He's got. He's got too many deep seated insecurities. Um, which manifests themselves as vanity, I guess, later on, but he's just not, yeah, he's just not that person. For you personally, Nick, um, you know, when you sit back and you think like, and I know this is loaded given the context, but like, who are your favorite movie or literary villains? Like when you think of like a movie that, or a film or a television series, you're like, that's a good villain. Like, who do you think of? Oh God, I mean, you know what? It's, it's <laughs> well, Moriarty's a great villain um in Sherlock Holmes in fiction but in terms of uh, movies I mean if I like just think of Alan Rickman in the role of 
well, Snape, but also in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, his, his portrayal as Sheriff of Nottingham is so great. Um, um, and in Die Hard, of course, you know, <laughs> he's just got that brilliant villainous quality, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously those are all, all works of fiction, but I mean, you know, there are obviously countless real life villains who've been portrayed phenomenally by the likes of, I don't know, if I think of, you know, Ray Fiennes and Schindler's List, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, it's endless. But um, but yeah, I mean, there are, uh, well, I think with, with all, you know, with all villains, there's always an origin story, right? Um, and I guess with, 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 with Nate finding himself the villain of this piece, um, I, I guess my aim was to always sort of try and find a truth to it, as, as difficult as that can be, because, you know, I'm not condoning his actions or justifying his behaviour, but, um, you know, Try, trying to find the reasons to why he would feel like the way he does as a, as a reason for it to, to excuse his behavior that that felt like i had to sort of almost find that truth to make it believable is nate a villain well his his a lot of his behavior is villainous like a lot of his actions are, are, are villainous but but he, he is undoubtedly a victim and actually that that um, that season finale, you know, the end of season two, that, that um, uh, when he's his head and, and, and there's that outpouring of just, well, hate and everything when he, he says, says all that stuff to, to Ted. Um, I think it's very easy to sort of see Ted as the victim in that because of the stuff that Nate is saying to him and it really hammers home when he says the stuff about you should be back at home with your son and all that stuff. But actually, I, I think, or, or, or you know, I have to sort of almost feel this because I'm the person playing Nate, I feel like that Nate was the most vulnerable person in that situation. You know, for, for Nate to say that, to betray the person who put him where he was, you know, says a lot about Nate's insecurities. And I think Nate was was really really it's really really vulnerable in that moment and in fact some of the most sort of villainous things Nate does and in season three as well we, are really just layers of insecurity I think we're kind of seeing in Nate. Um, how might the reaction especially in season two on social media how might when and I've read of different ways that I mean Jason speaking to you about you know, what to expect or maybe how to deal with it. But but that reaction that you might have received, either on the street or on social media, what might that have done to inform you on how people connect with this show? It's really interesting because I think, you know, the, I mean, social media definitely did do its thing, <laughs> its expected thing, when, especially when the season finale of season two came out. And um, But it was fascinating, you know, it was also fascinating. And a lot of it was just... I mean, it's just the power of the writing, right? Because so many people were invested in these characters, not just Nate, you know, but, but, but you know, to take that storyline, and I guess Nate did have the biggest heel turn across those first two seasons, maybe. I mean, Hannah had, you know, obviously that great journey uh, in, in, in season one, but I don't think anyone had been taken on the, you know, no one had been, we kind of grow to love and then we kind of grow to hate in such a short space of time, relatively short space of time as Nate. And so, and because we were so invested in that season one journey of, you know, this underdog doing good and being able to prove his, his worth, 
to then for him to then betray Ted felt like the ultimate gut punch because we were really rooting for him. So we really felt that. But on the whole, people are really obviously really respectful and can tell the difference between the actor and the character. But they undoubtedly feel hurt and they do feel that betrayal as if it was real. And and you know, there's something about the show. I don't know because of when that season one came out and people were obviously very receptive to it, not least because of the pandemic and them really needing an outlet for the positive and hopeful you know, those, those positive themes within the show, the fact that we then, the show then dealt with something that was quite toxic and quite poisonous. And, and, and that, you know, was slightly, we saw that journey through Nate's downfall in season two. Um, uh, you know, I think people really took it to heart, <laughs> really took it, took it to heart. And, um, um, you know, whether they can forgive Nate, I don't know, maybe they feel he's already crossed the line and, um, you know, there's no, there's not even a glimmer of, you know, possible redemption for him. You've, you've often been asked and you've often spoken how um, leading into the show, you never really had much of a connection with sports, any sports, uh, especially soccer. But now over the course of three seasons of Ted Lasso, what might you have learned about the game? Well, I, th- I feel like I definitely do have a newfound respect for, for team, for team sport actually. And, um, and, you know, just what it, what it means to be a part of a team and to work as a team and to go through the sort of the highs and lows of success and failure. Um, but also then what it means to, to the fans of, of those teams as well. You know, we're so lucky that we've kind of got to film at some, you know, great stadiums in, in the UK and um, you can't help but suddenly have a, a respect for it when you kind of walk onto those pitches and you think, God, this, you know, it's crazy to think that, you know, all of these seats would be full and people would be cheering you know that that's you know i've never obviously never experienced anything like that in my life and so you but you can't help but there's there's a certain majestic quality to those stadiums which is which is quite infectious and you know just been surrounded by the the the, the, the players but also the creators of the show Ted Lasso, obviously huge sports fans and football fans and um you can't help but but, but be sort of buoyed on by that enthusiasm for it and you know as much as i do you know i can't profess to being sportsman or, or football mad um i've definitely got an appreciation for it and and certainly that team aspect of it and the you know the coaching aspect you know even something as straightforward as just someone being there to coach a team you know it feels like to have a good coach must be so inspiring you know to you know especially when you're coaching young people at an age when they are so susceptible to to, to things that could kind of go wrong in their lives to have like a strong voice and the strong leader in their lives is so important you know irrespective of their background or upbringing or anything like that um uh, that 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 speaks a lot to me i i i think that that's an incredible thing when i hear jason speak about his basketball coach or you know if i hear brendan talk about you know soccer coaches or who inspirations behind the show or inspirations behind ted lasso that's really impactful stuff because that's just having a strong dynamic leader, irrespective of whether it's about sports or anything that, that, you know, that has to, that means a lot. Nick, thank you so much for your time. Uh, good luck with this project and all the other ones that I've seen on your IMDb page and in the work. Thank, so, you. thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Again, a special thanks to Jason Sudeikis, Brett Goldstein, Brendan Hunt, and Nick Muhammad for their time, and to Sean Fitzgerald for his incredible and fun deep dive into Nick's IMDb catalog and beyond. I'm Mike Zimmerman, and this has been an episode of The Athletic Soccer Show. We will see you next time.